Welcome to From the Ground Up with Mark Weller, a podcast dedicated to the real estate development industry. We're going to host thought leaders, industry experts, and discuss the topics in the real estate industry that we know you'll enjoy. I'm Matt Rienzo. Joining me each week will be Mark Weller, founding partner and president of Weller Development Company. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm great. I couldn't be more excited. There's so many exciting things going on with our company and our projects and all over the country, particularly our Port Covington project that's up out of the ground right now. So we're really excited to be here and tell some of those really positive stories. You excited to have a podcast of your own? <laughs> I've actually found podcasts to be incredibly useful in learning uh, different things about people and different ways to get things done. So yeah, I think it's great. I'm hoping that we can share a lot of the knowledge that we've learned over the last bunch of years with folks that are interested or curious about, uh, about what we do. That's great. There's so many stories uh, of visionaries or professionals in the industry um, that literally have built themselves up, their projects, their companies, their careers from the ground up. And we want to share those stories and celebrate how the projects are reshaping communities, hear from thought leaders in the industry who are definitely doing it the right way, or at least trying to. And uh, just join us as we have real discussions about real estate projects and, and issues within the industry. And of course, uh, we're going to try and have as much fun as we can along the way as well. Uh, you ready to get into it? Absolutely, Matt. Looking forward to it. All right. So we're going to kick off uh, from the ground up with Mark Weller, our first episode with the discussion on Port Covington, kind of your your marquee project. And we can't do that without hearing how it all began from the very beginning. So Mark, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into development in the first place. Yeah, it's, um, it's a fun story for me uh, to tell only because I think it reminds people that no matter where you come from and what background you're from or what your parents do, there's an opportunity in this industry. And I think sometimes that kind of gets lost by the wayside. But anyways, I grew up in Buffalo, New York. I was born there and I moved to Maryland, actually right outside Washington, D.C. when I was 15 years old. My father worked for a company in Buffalo that got bought by another company. They actually got bought by Marriott. And they said to my dad, we can either lay you off in six or eight weeks and give you some severance or you can take a job in D.C. So obviously in a place like Buffalo, when you lose a good job, uh, you, there isn't another one following right behind. It certainly wasn't at the time. So he took that job and we, uh, we packed up and we moved to Maryland. It's been exciting moving to the nation's capital from Buffalo at the time. Yeah, it was exciting. It was also a different and uh, a little intimidating at times, but it, it ended up being the sort of the pivotal moment where I gained confidence in myself and my own personality to make new friends and, and, and learn about new places and just kind of start over because I had to, quite frankly, there wasn't, really, wasn't much of an option. So when I moved here, I, I started at the end of eighth grade and then went to high school here. And I was really lucky. Um, I, I got to meet um, some really incredible people here who were doing really incredible things. You know, I always talk about geographic luck with a lot of different people. It's like where you're born or where, you're, where my dad, mom and dad moved me to. But like moving to Washington, Washington was an absolute boom town at the time. So having an opportunity to live in a place like Washington was giving me access to ideas and things that you just didn't have in Buffalo. So some of my best friends were, you know, their parents were in the real estate industry. And one in particular, um, his father was a huge developer, a guy by the name of Dick Ward. And um, one of my best friends growing up was Richie, Richie Ward. And we started, uh, you know, we started working together on really small stuff when we were in high school. Like what? What kind of stuff? We were doing mulching and we were doing um, gutter cleaning and we would do um, driveway sealing and things like that. And Mr. Ward was really surprised 
supportive of that. He didn't want to give us money or Richie money, and my father didn't want to give me money either. But they gave us equipment and things to work with. So my dad gave me a small tractor and a bunch of garden tools. Uh, Richie's dad gave us a few other things, some bigger things, like we had a, we had a, access to a truck and, and access to a log splitter. We did a lot of log sale. That was an interesting business, firewood sales. But um, but we did all kinds of odds and ends, and we opened Weller and Ward Houseworks. And uh, from there, we led that all the way through high school, and it was a, it was a great introduction into being an entrepreneur and a great introduction into uh, into kind of fending for yourself. But we figured out pretty quick that we could make a heck of a lot more money than any of our buddies with hourly jobs by hustling uh, as, as entrepreneurs, uh, being sort of jacks of all trades that were willing to do kind of tougher work that other people weren't willing to do. So from there, um, you know, we took it and, and started getting into demolition. And then by, by my college years, I had, had you know, experience in demolition, been out in the field for framing and so on. And, uh, and when I graduated college, one of the first jobs I took was, uh, was working as a construction superintendent in the field and uh, building, building townhouses. So, so how, how valuable has that experience been as you've now uh, gotten older and you're running a, a massive project? Well, uh, you know, for many years I was I was uh, in construction, wall doing development. Then I opened up a construction company um, and, and did development as well. So I come from a little different background from many of, of, of my peers. Uh, I really came as much from the construction side of things as I did from the development side of things. I morphed into development intentionally, uh, and I had a plan to do that, but still it wasn't from going going to school for finance and coming out. And what I see with so many people these days, it was quite frankly, there was a lot of guys, men and women, particularly men at that time who had come through, many of them weren't even college educated, many of them were framers and other types of entrepreneurs who had morphed into the development world and been highly successful and some of the most successful people in the Washington region. So it didn't seem out of place for me to want to be a developer at all. And by the time uh, you know, I got some construction experience, I started morphing into development, um, it became a real advantage instead of a disadvantage uh, to have this amazing sort of construction background uh, in the development world where most of, most of my peers who were at any kind of ownership level, again, were primarily finance backgrounds and really didn't know the back end of a hammer or, uh, or really much how to build or put anything together. So that's that's fascinating. Advantage. That's a great idea for a future segment, just talking about career tracks and how you get into it, because I know that's something that people ask us all the time. And you took a little bit of a different route being more in the construction trade than in the, you know, the MBA uh, finance world, which is really fascinating. Um, so your, your background is in construction. You're coming up. You start a bunch of different companies. And then how do you end up in Baltimore? How does that work? Well, so I started uh, a company um, in, in around the Washington, D.C. area. We did quite well uh, all the way until 08. And we were still doing very well in our construction for fee business. Development slowed down dramatically. Um, but we did well. We got, we got through that. And I decided to make a change. And we split up the partnership that we had there. And I went on my own uh, in 08, 09. And uh, had a great couple of years and was working on my development projects and also had a fee for construction business. And uh, I got a call one day, somebody I'd known for a long time. Uh, it was Memorial Day of 2011. Just asking if I would be interested in coming up to Baltimore it was Kevin Plank, who was the um, owner and founder CEO of uh, Under Armour, a really incredible entrepreneur and a, and a great guy. And he called and asked me if I could come up and help him with some things. It was kind of vague, didn't understand what he was talking about. But went up there, and um, you know, I don't want to say the rest is history because it's been an incredible journey since then. But went up there, and, and really, what it was then was Kevin had this big vision, and I was trying to understand what it is he was trying to accomplish. So the first few meetings were really about like w what he wanted to do and what he how he wanted to improve the city of Baltimore. 
And uh, it took me a little while to really understand how it all fit together. And then uh, after a few months of, of hanging around the hoop there and listening to his big ideas and his story and his improvement of, of Baltimore as a place to live and a place to work and, and, and one of the first places you'd want to go after you graduate college and all that, I, uh, I, I was really into it. And I decided to dedicate pretty much uh, full time to that. So Kevin and I formed a partnership and it took off from there. Did it ever dawn on you that that's 10 years ago? Uh, yeah, it actually it actually did today. Um, something came up today that was a 10-year anniversary, and I remembered specifically what was going on, and uh, yes, it was 10 years ago. So that, that's amazing. 10 years of your life you spent on this Port Covington project, essentially. Um, so let's talk about where we are with Port Covington today. Some people listening may not be nearly as familiar with it as others. Um, so what is Port Covington and why is it more than just a project? Why is it so important? Why is it a lightning rod? Why is it something that's in the news all the time? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I think one of the big things is it's it's a, it's essentially an annex to a city. So it's not really a development project per se, as many people would think of it. It's an annex to the city. So it's, you know, 45, could be up to 50 blocks. You know, we're building 15 city blocks right now of infrastructure. We're building five massive buildings, almost like the size of the wharf. So what you see, there's five cranes, permanent cranes, plus a bunch of temporary cranes up. I mean, it's, it's a massive site. And so what it does is it creates a lot of jobs. It creates uh, a lot of um, incredible energy to move forward. It creates, you know, it's, it's access to 95 with three exits. It's, it's, it's very visible. Um, and it creates a, an image and an excitement around around the city. And I think a, another thing it does is we've worked really closely with the communities surrounding us, the the six communities around us. We call the South Baltimore Six, and it helps. It's uplifted all of them, and they, they've all they've all risen. We think to some degree. And what we're trying to do is provide, you know, and we'll talk about this more in in, in later podcasts or later in this one. But it provide technical assistance and really important uh, funding and ideas. Again, not telling. Them them what to do, but in fact, listening to them and hearing what they want to do and then helping them execute on their goals. Uh, that's, that's one of the most exciting parts about a project like Port Covington. So lifting the community around us and then creating a vibrant new community in Port Covington both. Uh, let's be honest, there's been a, some negative narrative and PR about Port Covington and it's uh, the MOU with the city and there's been a lot of uh, negativity. What do you think about that and what do you say to people who uh, don't see the vision and don't see the benefit to the city or don't think that, you know, your company and the project is living up to its commitments? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. And I, I think, um, first off, you can't categorize negative thoughts into one bucket. There's so many different reasons why people might have a negative thought about what we do or about what anybody's working on for that matter. But I think at the end of the day, it's, it's become very apparent that uh, most of what we've heard negative was primarily around inaccuracies of information or lack of information. So what we've tried to do is really be as transparent as possible to get as much information out there as we can um, so that people can really know what's going on, whether it's the uh, MBE companies, the over 100 MBE and WBE companies that are on site or the $110 million to date with minority and women-owned businesses, you know, well exceeding our requirements. You know, well over 35% of our work has been awarded to minority businesses, over 11% to women, women-owned businesses. So when you think about things like that, like we're just not telling those stories every day. And so we're starting to now, and it seems to be alleviating a lot of the, a lot of the negative conversation. Another 
another exciting thing for us that we really like this 20% of the residential units in chapter one are going to be affordable. So we're very proud of that. Like we're very proud that we're being as intentional as we are about that. You know, we've also funded over $19 million to the MOU, our our memorandum of understanding with the, with the city and the, um, and the commitments to date. So, you know, People aren't saying up saying we're holding up our end of the bargain. I'd say they're just not correct and they don't have the facts. And we're not quick to brag or, or throw that out there all the time. But we're starting to more because we do want people to see and realize how much benefit a project like this really can have to the local businesses and the local community. Um, so, well, you know, that's pretty impressive. The, those percentages you mentioned, that's over 47 percent of the work done in Port Covington to date being done by minority or women-owned businesses. That's right. Those are staggeringly positive numbers. Yes. It's, so, it's, 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 it's unprecedented as far as I know. But again, we're not here to, to pound our chest about that. But we are. We do want people to know because I feel like a lot of the negativity that's come out whenever I've heard something like that has generally been about just misinformation or, or really, quite frankly, lack of information that was out there about our project. Well, we'll have Mark Brody, uh, Vice President of Community Impact. We'll have him on the show in a couple weeks, and uh, we could talk to him more about those initiatives and more about uh, s- some of the uh, the mentality that goes into the strategy behind all of that. So Excellent. we'll look forward to that. Um, so what are we going to see in Port Covington um, You know, when it's delivered? What type of place is it and what kind of product type will it have? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a mixed range, range of product. I mean, obviously, you're going to have office, residential, uh, you'll have retail. Uh, you'll have uh, you know, lot, plenty of parking, both surface parking and garage. And so I think you'll see all this, you know, the typical things you see in these great mixed-use developments that are waterfront, sometimes aren't waterfront, lakefront, whatever, uh, you know, interior, in, built interiors of cities. But it would be great mixed-use uh, work that's done. It'll be incredibly inclusive and thoughtful, meaning we really want to make sure that everybody's welcome in Port Covington. So one of the things we've made sure to do is have a lot of open space uh, that doesn't cost anything to use, just parks, uh, water waterfront parks, interior parks, uh, places for people to use and enjoy. I mean, one of the things we thought about is we're a neighborhood, but we're also a destination. So when you think about that and you think about, you know, sort of um, the way Port Covington will will help the city, we think we can increase stay time in the city from, you know, uh, somebody just coming for a day or a night and increase it for another day or another half day to get people to stay for longer and spend more time in Baltimore and spend more money in Baltimore. You know, the Inner Harbor, I've talked about this before, but the Inner Harbor has 14 million visitors a year. if you think about that, if you can just collect that many visitors, which quite frankly, I think we will be successful at once we build our build our project and, and it gets filled with the exciting retailers and and parks and so on that will be there. Um, you know, it's a, it's a it's a whole nother universe of people. And again, it's this is not meant to take away from the Inner Harbor, but instead to be additive again to increase the stay time to Baltimore from one day to one and a half days, or one and a half to two days, or whatever it is. It seems like everybody's rooting for Baltimore, and and similarly, you know, rooting for the Inner Harbor as this project delivers. How how do you avoid you know taking away from the Inner Harbor uh, as you're delivering a new project? You know, a mile away, is it? Additive, or how do you look at that? Well, I think I think there's no different than um, than than a good player on your team. I think when other members of your team start to step it up and work harder, it forces you to step up and work harder as well. And I think the Inner Harbor, uh, you know, can can do better than what it's been doing. And I think it will, and I think it'll continue to. There's a lot of really positive focus on that right now. And I think the uh, both the mayor and the uh, and the various business organizations are doing a great job putting that focus in. And I think it's going to create a better 
better Baltimore all around. I've always thought that, you know, when you think of the horseshoe that is sort of the waterfront, uh, I've always thought how incredible um, it would be to have, you know, sort of coming from Port Covington all the way around to the Inner Harbor, all the way up to Canton, all just really fit together nicely. And then development can grow sort of like a spider web going backwards out through the communities. And then in many cases, uh, we're hoping to see development in the communities outside of that area and then come back in towards the water. So start to connecting and start to connect these different neighborhoods and create connections. Uh, much of that I learned watching the different neighborhoods in Washington, D.C. There were so many neighborhoods that were in such disrepair at one point, and then they gradually, as each individual neighborhood happened, they started to bump into each other, and they filled out, filled out the gaps. Do I think there was opportunities missed in Washington, D.C. around affordable housing and, and inclusion? Of course. It happened really fast, and it happened a while ago, but I think there's a lot of lessons learned from that, and I think there's a lot of, positive, a lot of positives that came out of it as well. So I think um, just thinking of it as trying to transform the entire city so you lived through that development in dc and the transformation that occurred and and you see something similar hopefully happening in baltimore uh in a positive way steve siegel also lived through that as well Tell, talk a little bit about your partner and your you and the team and how you guys kind of lived through that and helped make that happen in dc and and how you relate yeah. that to, to baltimore well thanks i mean talking about the team i mean it's all about the team and um, and the team at the end of the day is is the reason why we're able to hit milestones and make strides. And I think that, uh, you know, having different teammates with different perspectives and with, you know, previous experiences is the absolute key to a winning team. And so Steve's experience was he was uh, he was head of the uh, the public private partnership office, the deputy mayor's office under Adrian Fenty ran a big portfolio there and it was it was really an incredible experience for Steve. So he brought that with him when he came to Baltimore. He had seen a lot of stuff from that ag from that avenue and that angle, which was incredible. I mean, um, we'll have to have Adrian and Steve on the show uh in a yeah, month that, or so. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And um Adrian was a, a real visionary mayor and really incredible um incredible leader. I remember every meeting that I had with Adrian when he was mayor, he would literally walk out and say, "That's great. Just make sure it's world class." He used the world, term world class all the time about everything we did, whether it was the the light posts that you were specking or the bike lanes you were building or whatever it was, but he was he was adamant about the the the, the parks that got built and all that that they were world class. So, you know, having leadership like that and perspective like that is, is really helpful. And that's what Steve brought. Also, you know, another one of my partners, Mike Gaffney, you know, com comes from the mall business and it's seen a lot. I mean, there's another, another gentleman with years of experience who brings a different perspective that, that helps round out uh, the team's perspective that then gives us the ability to lead with certainty in, in uncertain times, quite frankly. So he's the CFO, COO, Capital Markets. That's right. That's right. And he's, he's, he's seen a lot in his years and he's seen it from another perspective. So just having that broad team of people that have done different things has been uh, very useful and, and incredibly, incredibly helpful through, uh, through, like I said, some challenging times. Awesome. So um, circling back to Port Covington quickly, you know, you mentioned uh, just over a million square feet of development. Um, I guess what you call Chapter 1B uh, in Port Covington. When is that all going to deliver? What will people see uh, in a couple of years? Well, I think, um, you know, I think what, what you're talking about delivery is the end of 22 going into 23. And I think uh, if you went out there right now, it's actually incredible. I, I was out there yesterday. I took video and was showing, showing friends and, and my kids last night and stuff. 
Uh, there's all kinds of things on the third and fourth floor, all kinds of buildings now on the third and fourth floor uh, with concrete and steel and so on. But when you go out there uh, at the end, uh, you know, towards the end of next year, you're going to have complete buildings from the exterior that are done and built. Uh, and then we'll be fitting them out from the inside going into 23. And then at some point in 23, it'll be fully occupied, uh, hopefully on the retail and the uh, and the office front. And uh, from there, we'll be we'll have a grand opening. and It'll just be a. Uh, uh, an incredible environment. I think the, the the built environment will definitely be world class. And then it's about programming that built environment with the various things that you're going to want to do on weeknights, weekends, and so on. And I think when you think about Port Covington, I think it's funny because I'm going to be 50 um, in, in in just a few short weeks, in about six weeks. And, and turning 50, I'm, I live in so many worlds. I, I have kids. I have five kids. I, I'm married. Uh, and then I have friends, old friends, and I have people I work with. I have all kinds of stuff going on in my life. And I really want to create a place, this was in my head and many other where everything could happen. You know, I could be with my kids and it was, it was a great place to be for some, for the daytime or for, for early dinner. But I could also go out with my friends from high school or college and have a great night out and a lot of good laughs. Um, but then I also want a place where I can go with my wife and have a nice dinner when we haven't been out in a while. Right. And all these different things. And you, when you think about that in the programming that goes into that, um, for all these different people from all these different perspectives, uh, that's where we'll, we'll feel like we hit it when we have people from all over the region, all over the city that come in and really feel at home for whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish by coming down to Port Covington. That's quite a vision and quite an undertaking. Um, you mentioned that, I think you mentioned 15 roads or so that are getting built with the infrastructure. Talk about the construction process from when you started to now. Uh, you know, it's a million square feet, 15 roads, all sorts of different product types, shape, sizes. Talk about the complexity of that job. Well, the good news on a project of this magnitude is there is some lead up time. So we went through, a, obviously, you know, a project like this goes through an incredibly extensive um, acquisition process that's very quiet. And then from the end, again, we can drill on these in other podcasts because I think they're really interesting topics. Each can, one could be its own you could, we could talk for hours on each individual sort of area, but I think acquisition is what it starts with. And acquisition, after acquisition, you have to start um, um, thinking about entitlement. And then after you think about all your entitlements so that you, you're allowed to build what you want, you have city permission and so on, you start to think about finance, how to get it financed, and then you start to think about how to bring partners in to help you finance. A process like that and a project like this is years long. Um, we felt like we went pretty fast doing it in three years three and a half years, but, uh, but it's still, it's a lot of work and takes a lot of time. Uh, during that process, once you start dialing in on your design, uh, then you're able to start thinking about your construction. And there's different people that are very good at certain product type and so on. So you have these various general contractors uh, on board, you know, big companies, you know, sophisticated companies, small companies that are trying to learn. Um, you've got this variety of, of experts, though, uh, in these variety of positions that you're bringing along and coordinating through this process. And then you finally get to the point where everything lines up, where the financing is done, the permit is in, and you're kind of locking arms with everybody, and you're jumping off this uh, sort of proverbial cliff uh, that is the start of the project. And uh, having as much time as possible, so you know, I use the term all the time, like let's measure twice and, uh, and, and cut once. 
Uh, I learned that when I was in the field in construction, so we didn't waste a bunch of two-by-fours and two-by-sixes. But uh, it's true in, in anything you do and just making sure you know what you're doing. But you're not overanalyzing in paralysis by analysis, but instead um, you're really making sure that you, you, you know what you're doing be, before you get going. Because at this level, when you're talking about you know, a billion dollars essentially going at one time, a mistake can be a very small mistake, can be hundreds of thousands and even go into the millions of dollars. So you're always trying to make sure that you're doing the right thing. So you have really great uh, leadership on the construction team with guys like uh, Greg Hermendorfer and, and Casey Larkin. And then their teams are unbelievable. And then they hire unbelievable general contractors, you know, Bazudo, Whiting Turner, Clark, and so on. So when you start to bring in all these people together and coordinate them, you end up in, uh, in, a, in a really good spot. It doesn't mean there can't be problems. You also need some, some luck, too. We pretty much guaranteed there will be problems. Right? Well, it's just how big they're going to be. You know you're going to have problems. It's just how big they're going to be. But a good example of, of just some luck is, you know, we've had some really dry weather the couple times that we've been doing major work going in the ground. That dry weather alone potentially saves us millions and millions of dollars if you can imagine what it costs per day on a project which is counterbalanced size. by the price of lumber yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah i mean but, and there's one you couldn't see coming but again the team worked so hard that we covered the lumber cost issue in other areas where we worked really hard you know so so i think um you know there's a yang for a yang on those all the time and um you know again it's it's you're going to have problems it's just a matter of what they're going to be and Really, our business as developers and constructors is nothing more than a problem-solving business. It's always been and it always will be. It's not for people that carry around a, a five-gallon bucket of cans and won'ts. It's really meant for people that wake up every day and say, I can get this done, and they start with a yes, and they're ready to go. Um, you'll, you'll get eaten alive in our industry if you're not that way. Well, I think you pretty much just set up our next series of podcasts between the acquisition, entitlement, finance, uh, finding partners, design, construction. I think we've got our blueprint for the show. So, <laughs> that's, so that, that's helpful. So uh, let's shift gears for a second. Now, this is really exciting. I think we're all pumped about this. We're going to have a recurring segment called the Rising Tide Moment. Uh, in this rising tide moment, we're going to feature a real estate, real world example of how a rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, so I did some research, really extensive research, which means I Googled it. Uh, the phrase commonly attributed to John F. Kennedy. Uh, he used it in 1963 uh, in a speech that he used to justify building of a dam project he was working on. But credit where credit's due. I guess John Kennedy didn't actually come up with it. He heard about it at a Chamber of Commerce meeting. Who would have known? Uh, so anyway, uh, the, the first feature story that we're going to focus on for the uh, rising tide moment for today's podcast, and appropriately so, last week we had our Jazzy Summer Nights concert series start off, uh, and it's just a really cool event, Mark. I know you've been to it in the past. It's really fun, isn't it? Yeah, it's incredible. One of my favorite things is seeing all those people having fun and enjoying themselves. Yeah, so we, we have a partnership with the Finn Group, and, and through that, um, the first Thursday of every month from August through October, we'll have uh, jazzy summer nights in West Covington Park in Port Covington from 5 to 10 p.m. Live music, food trucks, cigar lounge, whiskey tasting, you know, tons of awesome jazz musicians, DJs, other artists. It's a really fun time. So if you want to come to the next one, check us out at pc.city backslash events, and you can get all the information. You can get tickets for jazzy summer nights and the other events that we're hosting in Port Covington. So check that out. And why is this a rising tide moment? Uh, people may be asking. Really, it's just because we're getting the community back together after COVID. We're restoring the community pride. Um, certainly, there's tons of local pride in Baltimore. And, and frankly, we just want to have some fun again. Uh, it's, it's been a tough year and a half. 
So it just feels really good to get people together. No doubt. So uh, that brings us to the conclusion of our first podcast. We did it, Mark. Thanks. This was exciting. <laughs> yeah, this was really uh, just awesome content and uh, you know a fun first episode of From the Ground Up with Mark Weller. On the next episode, we'll be talking with Mark Brody, who's the Vice President of Community Impact for Weller Development. He's going to really just lay out the blueprint for community affairs and interacting with the community in a socially responsible way um, where you're putting the community ahead of profits and at the very least on the same level as profits. And so we're looking forward to hearing from him and how he leads the community efforts in Port Covington and beyond. Going forward, if you have a topic you want us to talk about or if you have a project that you think is making a transformation for the city uh, or for your city, uh, just drop us a line on social media and, and we'll be happy to, to include it. Uh, at Weller Development on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. I'm Matt Rienzo and he's Mark Weller. Keep building, people.